There's not enough mental health providers in all settings. And so oftentimes patients first or only encounter is with a family MP or their primary care provider. And so I think students in my course, many of them do have that dual certification because they're sort of the default mental health providers also, but they also want that knowledge to effectively provide the mental health care that their patients need. And they also know when to refer out. What challenges do many new nurse practitioners face? What are some of the deficits of NP education? And how can family, adult, and psychiatric NPs approach the treatment of mental health disorders with increased confidence? Let's talk all about it with my guest, psychiatric nurse practitioner, educator, and mentor, Claire Afwa Ellerock, right here in episode 457 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is always about you and your personal and professional development, your nursing and healthcare career, and the healthcare system writ large. And I'm always here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, medicine, entrepreneurship, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride, and I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. If you'd like to help other people find the show, it's always helpful if you leave a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts, but you can also do so on Spotify, Amazon, and Google, or just share the show from any app where you happen to be listening with anyone who you think might benefit from it or enjoy it. And if you'd like to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Nurse Keith. Even $2 a month is really helpful to help support the show and keep the lights on and keep things moving forward with the Nurse Keith show. And I appreciate you all so much, no matter how you participate, even if you're simply listening and enjoying the show, that means so much to me. The show notes are at nursekeith.com in the drop-down menu labeled podcasts. And all of the links we mention to find our guest and read about what's going on here in this particular episode will be on any app where you happen to be listening. And like I said, we're here with Claire Afwa Ellerbrock. And Claire, it's so good to have you back. You were here last on episode 373, and I'm really, really happy to have you back. It's so nice to be connected with you. And You've had a little pivot in your business, and there's some things that are on your mind that you're helping nurse practitioners with. So, Claire, the first question I want to ask you is, what are the main challenges nurse practitioners come to you with that they're just like puzzling over and they're looking for some support? Well, first, thanks so much for having me, Keith. Really excited to be back on the podcast um, as far as, from my experience, psych and, as far as challenges, psych NPs, myself included, have had challenges in the realm of diagnosing mental disorders and also prescribing medications to effectively treat those disorders. So mental health treatment is quite gray, and that adds to the that adds like a layer of complexity. Um, there aren't very black and white answers in psychiatry as there are might be in other fields where patients might present to a clinic with an infection that can then be identified and then treated with an antibiotic where that patient then gets predictably better. Uh, psychiatry is a lot is a lot less clear. So for example, with diagnosing mental disorders, it can be challenging to tease apart diagnoses that look similar to one another, such as differentiating major depressive disorder from uh, something like bipolar 2 disorder, where there is a lot of overlap between how the two disorders look, but the treatment for each is quite different. 
And then in the realm of prescribing difficulties, I don't think we learn enough in school about how to effectively treat complex patients. So for, for example, I didn't learn in school how to taper a patient on very high doses of benzodiazepines and then how to handle withdrawal symptoms that accompany this. Yeah, this is something I often experience pretty regularly in practice when I, when I, inherit, when I inherit patients from other providers. So I think in the realm of diagnosing and also prescribing, there's challenges. And then I think mental health treatment and psychiatry being a little bit more gray than other specialties adds to the challenge. Yeah, I hear you on what those challenges are. And I'm assuming that, you know, family nurse practitioners and adult Jerry nurse practitioners likely, I'm assuming, also wind up in situations where either they feel they need to prescribe, say, an antidepressant or an atypical antipsychotic or whatever it is they're happened to be prescribing. And they have less education about this stuff than you would as a psychiatric MP. So I'm assuming that across the board, there are challenges. But if you're a FNP and an and a adult Jerry, there's even another layer of difficulty. So, you know, you're an educator, a mentor, and you like to support nurse practitioners through your business to make sure they have what they need. And one question I have for you is, what are the deficits that you've begun to see what's becoming clear to you when it comes to psych NP and FNP and Jerry NP education? What's missing, especially when it comes to psychiatric diagnosing and treatment? Uh, so I think there are a few layers here. I think first, the reason that nurse practitioners may not feel 100% confident and competent treating their patients entering practice has little to do with themselves. Unfortunately, I think most NP programs don't do the best job preparing students for practice. And I think part of that is because NP schools have been around for less than 60 years. In fact, the first NP program was created only in 1965 at the University of Colorado, but other similar career paths like medicine and medical school have been around since 1765. So that's that's 200 years of time that medical schools have had time to develop the type of structured curriculum and residencies to leave physicians feeling more secure upon leaving school. And I don't want to discount that NPs get there also with, with confidence and competence in practice. It's just that NP, that the NP field is filled with more insecurity and doubt along the way. And there's a lot of learning that occurs in practice for NPs, which is stressful. I do want to point out that uh, studies show similar patient outcomes and patient satisfaction between physicians and nurse practitioners. So clearly there's a place where both professionals find their footing. I just think the approach to getting there for NPs could be softer and more supported. Hmm. And I also think other reasons that nurse practitioners might not feel confident entering practice uh, could be that schools require students to find their own preceptors at times. And even when preceptors are provided, are provided for students. So my school, for example, I didn't have to find my own preceptor. That doesn't necessarily guarantee that the preceptor has the time to provide the quality of training and education. These preceptors are busy. They're not always compensated. And sometimes there's an added expectation of the job to be a preceptor in addition to seeing your patient caseload. There's a few other factors I have, and I have as examples as well, but I, I think that there are many factors that influence why nurse practitioners don't feel as confident entering practice. Right. And, you know, 
I mean, we could spend an hour just talking about the debate that's out there in the world about, you know, whether nurse practitioners should be autonomous, you know, whether they should always be under the wing, so to speak, of a of a doctor, of a physician. You know, there's plenty of articles and books and arguments happening online about that, you know, from the medical side to the nursing side. So that's that's a whole nother conversation about the perceptions of legitimacy of nurse practitioners in general. So that's it's kind of a thorny issue. But your your purpose and your mission as a psychiatric NP is to mentor other nurse practitioners, not just psychiatric, but that's your area of, of focus to make sure they have what they need to feel confident. So when new NPs get out of school, and let's focus on psych NPs for now, psychiatric nurse practitioners. When they get out of school, there's only so many resources available to them in terms of getting the support they need to actually take on the responsibility of seeing patients, assessing them, diagnosing them, and then treating them, and then following up on that treatment, make sure things are going well, right? And I'm assuming could be really scary when you first enter practice. So from your perspective, and let's focus on psychiatric NPs, are there many resources for them once they get out of school? And if so, what are the resources available to them? I feel like there's not as many resources available for nurse practitioners psych NPs entering practice to effectively and efficiently diagnose and treat complicated patients that we see day to day. And that's why I created the Metal Source Crash Course. It's a program of mine under the umbrella of my business, Stress Free Psych NP, uh, because I felt that my NP program, while it was a top nursing program, it didn't deliver on the knowledge needed to enter practice confidently treating patients. You know, I, I didn't have to find my own preceptors, something not every NP gets. And I got good grades in classes, but those things didn't translate into very important applications in practice, like how to taper patients I inherited off of six milligrams of alprazolam that oh they've been gosh. on for years. <laughs> <laughs> how, how to differentiate between disorders like major depressive disorder from bipolar 2 disorder and what to do when you don't really know. And so I created the Metal Source Crash Course to clearly and easily explain how to treat the most important and commonly encountered mental disorders in practice. Um, and I, I think what I refer to as the, the debt to doubt ratio is off with most NP programs in the country. The amount of student debt is high, but so is feelings of doubt with competence and confidence leaving school. And so while I learned a lot in my program, more so on theory and less on applications and practice, I think that there are gaps that that could be filled and my course is, is an attempt to help fill that gap of clinical knowledge and confidence to enter practice and also not just for new grads but experienced NPs also to feel up to date on the knowledge that they need to provide quality care for their patients. Right so the debt to doubt ratio so nurse practitioner students borrow a lot of money to go to school, right? So they're kind of amassing a great deal of debt, going through their education, graduating, and then they 
get a lot of doubt in return. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> it's something I've kind of created. I think based off of personal experience, not every NP program um, is very ex- expensive. I happened to go to a, a top school that was very pricey, but I, I felt that I should have obtained more confidence in my clinical skills upon leaving to counter the amount of debt that I had. And, and I imagine that other NPs also experience a little bit of this, this odd sort of ratio where we do spend some money, even if it's not a ton of money, money and get a whole lot of debt. There is some investment of money and that there should be sort of a leaving school feeling a little bit more confident than many mm. of us do. And so that's why I refer to this as the kind of a skewed debt to doubt ratio. That's interesting. And did you go to an online school or was it a school where you actually sat in a classroom? Um, it was it was sitting in the classroom. It's a brick and mortar um, NP program. And I went to it specifically because it's known to be one of the top programs for um, nurse practitioners in the country. Yeah. And, you know, we could spend an hour talking about, you know, the difference between online NP programs and brick and mortar NP programs. And, you know, I know some people are very geared towards independent learning and sitting at home in front of the computer and doing their work. And I know many great NPs who went to online programs, don't get me wrong. But I also think there's something about the camaraderie of being in a classroom with people and the conversations you just like have in the hallway during a coffee break or, you know, the connections you make with people that I think could be of great benefit. You know, it's like, oh, you know, you just, you, you, um, just stop and chat with someone, you know, in between classes and some epiphany happens because you're both in a precepting situation and like some, something you both learned just clicks, you know, in the midst of your conversation. So I assume there's, there's just some, there's a benefit to that. And I could see where that would be really helpful, especially with psychiatric nurse practitioner programs, because like you mentioned, parsing between major depressive disorder and bipolar two. And then recently I've been learning more about cluster B, you know, all those personality disorders, narcissistic personality disorders, et cetera. And it's mm-hmm. so complicated. And, you know, when you got out of school and you started to practice, where did you turn when you needed resources and you needed support? Because obviously your course didn't uh, exists <laughs> and it's your own course that you created. So what, what kind of support did you get? Yeah, this is sort of unique, but my, so my brother is a psychiatrist and he, in my first month or so of practice, I was, I was definitely floundering. I felt like I was way out of my depth, that I shouldn't be treating patients or prescribing medications. And I was talking to him about some of the stress I was experiencing. And he recommended that I start doing what's called private supervision. Um, and this is where you work with a experienced provider, whether it's a psychiatrist, physician, or, or experienced nurse practitioner, and you meet with them to discuss clinical cases. And, and so I, this, this was not something I learned about in school or talked to anyone else about. It wasn't something I was aware of existed, but when he talked to me about this, this idea of working with someone to do, you know, individual private supervision, I decided to seek it out. And I looked at the providers I knew around me who had experience. And that led me to look back at previous 
providers I had shadowed during clinical rotations or that were my preceptors. And I recalled one psychiatrist in particular who on one of my clinical rotations on an eating disorder rotation, he was incredibly knowledgeable, incredibly helpful, answered all of my questions. And he seemed like a good person to reach back out to, to ask if he might be willing to engage in private supervision. And so I reached out to him, reminded him of who I was. And he very graciously said, yes, he would be willing to meet with me to discuss difficult clinical cases. And so that began uh, a weekly, every, every Saturday for a couple hours, I would meet with him at his practice and we would discuss clinical cases that I was wrestling with in my current practice. And I did that every weekend for a year or so. And I think that sort of one-on-one mentorship discussing current cases, current cases I was wrestling with really helped hone my confidence in prescribing and diagnosing. And I, I learned so much from the one-on-one mentorship. So I would say that my particular resource was working with an experienced psychiatrist who very kindly, very graciously gave me his time to ask all of my silly questions and delve into complicated cases. And I think that was the cornerstone of me feeling more confident in my practice. I think part of my course is taking some of what I've learned, taking that mentorship that I received and translating that in a way that's more structured for other people to take and implement on kind of their on their own pace at their own schedule. That sounds really brilliant. What you decided to do based on your brother's recommendations. I think that was super smart and very prudent and benefits you and benefited, you know, your patients as well. And, you know, reminds me of when people get out of like a mental health counseling program or they get out of a LICSW program, whatever it happens to be, many people will will pay a clinical supervisor to meet with them. And I bet there's probably states where maybe that's even required. I don't really know because it's not an area I have a lot of knowledge of. But many, gosh, I have friends who are counselors or therapists and all of them have supervisors who they go to, not supervisors, but people who provide clinical supervision, who they meet with regularly to go over cases. And I think that peer support, especially if you're working in a solo practice, like I would assume, you know, say you you created a group practice with a bunch of psychiatric nurse practitioners, then you would have built in like, hey, can we talk over a break because I have this patient, you know, but if you're alone, I mean, that could probably feel extremely isolating and frightening. And can I ask you a question? <laughs> what was it like? Can you remember when you first started practicing, what was it like to sit down and realize like, oh my gosh, I'm actually seeing a patient on my own for the very first time. Do you remember what that was like? I do. I do. I have a very clear memory of my first patient. My first, might not have been my very first patient, but my first week of practice, Mm -hmm. a patient so it just, I, I felt absolutely like an imposter. Um, like I was just playing pretend that I couldn't believe that I was allowed to be seeing a patient that they believed that I was a provider. But this was a patient who was in his early 20s and he'd been recently ho- uh, discharged from an inpatient hospitalization following suicide attempt. He'd had many, many different hospitalizations, um, very depressed. And he was on a lot of different medications he did not want to be there. So when he sat in front of me, he wasn't really wanting to answer questions, didn't want to talk to me. He'd been here before. He'd been in the mental health system for quite a while. And 
I just had like this internal monologue in my head running as I was asking him questions. Like, am I asking the right assessment questions? Do I need to delve deeper? Am I typing not enough as I'm talking to him, trying to develop that report also? And then as we were kind of moving along the assessment, I remember thinking, you know, do I have the diagnosis right? Or do I need to change the medications? He, he was discharged from the hospital, so they dis discharged him on medications, but he still wasn't doing well. Does that mean I need to adjust medications? Which medication should I adjust, if anything at all? Is it okay if I just order labs and check in? Um, I just remember having just a flood of these thoughts as I was also talking to him, having mm -hmm. my own sort of internal monologue. And I just remember feeling just very overwhelmed. And, you know, I had someone else's... Um, mental health care in my hands and I wanted to make sure that I was I was providing quality care and so I just remember feeling very overwhelmed and filled with doubt and um yeah it was just a very <laughs> very nerve-wracking time I can only imagine and was that an independent practice just you in an office with people coming to see you it wasn't actually my, my first job was working in community mental health so working with very challenging patients with, with severe and persistent mental illness, but there was a few other nurse practitioners there, very busy practice, not a, not a ton of built-in kind of support with providers to meet with. I, I live in a state where I'm required to have a collaborating psychiatrist who's available to answer questions as they have them. But I think in practice, at least for me, it wasn't working out where I had structured built-in time to meet with them regularly or consistently. Um, and so that's why I sought it out myself of meeting with someone to discuss difficult cases. That makes a lot of sense. And gosh, I can only imagine what that feels like because even a nurse just getting out of regular nursing school, going on a med surge floor can feel like they have 10 thumbs. And, you know, here you are mm -hmm. holding someone's psychiatric well-being in their hands, knowing they'd been in the hospital, knowing they'd attempted suicide. I mean, that is, you can't get more serious than that, right? And yeah. there's, you know, the, the algorithms for treating hypertension or, you know, congestive heart failure or, you know, what have you are fairly direct and where you may have to play with the medications a little bit. There's, it, it just feels like the risks are different even though there's plenty of there's plenty of risk treating someone when it comes to a cardiac and cardiac condition but i just that feeling i'm just i'm just kind of like sensing it intuitively right now just of like holding someone's mental emotional psychic spiritual well-being in your hands i just can't even imagine the weight that you might feel and i'm assuming that nurse practitioners who contact you are likely really feeling that weight, aren't they? I think so. I mean, the, the students that are in my course are pretty varied. I interestingly have a lot of duly certified psych MPs and family MPs who decided to take my course. Many of them have their own private practices or are developing them, but then I also have a handful of students who are in their final semester of school or new grads. And I think regardless of whether you're experienced or new, there's just a desire to feel more secure and knowledge with diagnosing and treating our patients. I think there's just a lot of complexity there and having more support, more up-to-date information on what we need to know to effectively treat our patients is, is something that many people want. Mm -hmm. I think knowledge adds to more security and reduces some of that stress from 
from the day-to-day job. And I think that's partly why my business is, is called Stress-Free Psychopathy, to help provide that clinical knowledge, to help reduce some of the stress so that we can provide quality patient care and also feel less stressed day-to-day as we're doing our job. That makes a lot of sense. And when we come back from the break, I want to talk some about your perceptions of the nurse practitioner role in general and kind of where where it's sort of headed here in the 21st century and some other questions I have for you. So hang in there with us. We'll be right back with the second half of episode 457 with psychiatric nurse practitioner, educator, and mentor, Claire Afwa Allerbrock. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. We're here again with friend of the pod and my friend and colleague, Claire Afwa Ellerbrock, here for her second appearance on the Nurse Keith Show. And Claire, just before the break, we were talking about like that, that feeling of holding someone's wellness in your hand and their their psychiatric and spiritual and emotional wellness. Like, uh, like I, I can't imagine doing that myself. And um, I'm just curious, um, the people who come to you, you mentioned that they can be new psych NPs or new NPs who are just wanting to learn more about, you know, treating and diagnosing and treating mental health disorders, or it could be those who have a dual certification, say an FNP who decided to get their psych mental health certificate, post, postgraduate certificate. So do you find that a lot of FNPs or adult Jerry's are deciding to dip their toe into psych NP worlds by getting that dual certification? Is that more and more common? I think so. I can only speak to the students that are coming into my course that I'm that I'm seeing, but there are several family nurse practitioners who are getting that second certification because they are seeing patients in their practice who present to them with depression or anxiety. And oftentimes patients, the first providers that they encounter happens to be the primary care providers. Or there are, there's a, there's not enough mental health providers in all settings. And so oftentimes patients first or only encounter is with a family MP or their primary care provider. And so I think students in my course, many of them um, do have that dual certification because they're sort of the default mental health providers also, but they also want that knowledge to effectively provide the mental health care that their patients need. And they also know when to refer out to a, a psychiatric provider as needed also. I know for a fact, like just from talking to people and my own perceptions and experiences is that, you know, there are shortages of different types of providers in all different pockets of the country, right? You might have a shortage of primary care physicians and providers in this area, but over here, it might be specialists who are lacking, right? So I'm sure there are plenty of areas, either metropolitan areas or maybe very rural um, regions of the country where there might not be a psychiatrist that's available or a psychiatric NP who's available, or you may have one provider for a very, very large area. And in rural areas, then transportation's an issue, for instance, or just access, you know. So 
you might have a lot of primary care providers like family nurse practitioners who are left holding the ball. It's like, well, there's no one else here who's going to treat this person's depression or anxiety or perceived bipolar disorder. So here I am, right? Mm -hmm. So I could see why people would need that extra layer of confidence because if you're out in the hinterlands and you have, you know, a preponderance of mental health disorders in your patient population, what are you going to do? You can't tell people you're not going to treat them. <laughs> so I could see where you could really be stuck. So when we talk about that perception of the NP and what the NP is capable of and areas where NPs are maybe the majority of primary care providers who are available to patients in general, where do you see the demand for NPs growing? Like, what are you perceiving out there in the world in terms of this NP role? Because I see it growing exponentially right now, personally. When you say the NP role, do you mean psych NP role or just NP in general? I think both. So right now there's there's a shortage or there's a there's not as many physicians available to provide healthcare to just people in general. So the role of the NP is to step in to fill that, fill that gap, to provide, provide care to, to patients who need them. Right, right now, um, there's, there's very much a demand for, for providers and there's not enough providers to fill that demand. And so nurse practitioners are able to help increase access to care, I, I do think that there are some areas that are there's much greater need than others, and I think that includes in some metropolitan or rural areas, um, certain settings, certain age populations. For example, like child uh, psych NPs, there's not enough providers available to treat child psychiatric needs, and so I think that will continue to grow. So it, it is growing, and what I see from my perspective is that, you know, nurse practitioners are becoming more the default in so many areas. And, you know, you're not going to have a psychiatrist who spent hundreds of thousands of dollars going to school to move to a, a very, very rural area where, you know, they're probably going to work in a federally qualified health center. They're probably not going to make you know, they're going to make a fraction of what their colleagues are making in the big city. And so attracting providers to certain areas of the country is not an easy task. And from my perspective, when I look at, let's say, the Bureau of Labor Statistics um, data that's being published out there on the BLS website, you know, it used to be that RN job growth was projected in the, you know, like, 20 to 30% job growth. Now we're down in the single digits. Why? I can't really say, even though there's a shortage. But for nurse practitioners, the job growth stats are very, very high. They've come down a little bit in the last year or two, but they're still quite high. And it's, I think, one of the very fastest growing areas in the entire country of all occupations. So the demand is there and it feels like gosh, everybody I talk to wants to be a nurse practitioner. So there's something there. 
and people are being drawn into the role. So from your perspective, psychiatric nurse practitioners need the extra support that there's complicated patients out there who need their attention. So do you feel that schools, can schools do better? And do you feel like there are some schools out there that are that are trying to offer more robust preparation? Is that happening anywhere? I don't think that schools are 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 wanting to provide the quality education necessary to help create providers who can effectively treat the ever-increasing complicated patients we're seeing in practice. I think another layer that adds to the difficulty is that there, there's a more of a shortage in nurse faculty. And so there are not enough educators to support the growing demand of nurse practitioners wanting to enter the field. And so I think on some level, I think educators, um, the lack of them is um, sort of a bottleneck in, in providing that quality care. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think preceptorship or residency programs, I think, are helpful ways to help create nurse practitioners who feel very confident in their role. I, I think I did sort of my own sort of residency program with working with a, my, the psychiatrist I worked with for about a year on every weekend. But I, I think having a sort of structured sort of residency that nurse practitioners do in that final year or after graduating could help bolster that confidence in practice. But I do think that the, the, the shortage of, of nurse educators, I think, will continue to be a challenge going forward as more nurse practitioners seem to gravitate towards clinical practice rather than education upon graduation. Mm-hmm. And I think we see that same dynamic just in nursing schools in general, that we're not attracting the faculty because they don't pay as well. So people can work as clinicians and make more money. And so that bottleneck is happening in RN education as well, not just NP education. So that's that's a problem. That's a systemic issue that I don't really see being addressed in a way that is very effective. So that leads us to people like you who decide to create support systems for nurse practitioners once they're out of school so that they can fill some of the deficits that were left over from nurse practitioner school. And you know your flagship course, the Mental Disorders Crash Course, that is what you said is sort of a distillation in some ways of that year of very close clinical supervision you had with that psychiatrist colleague of yours. So you're taking all of that wisdom, all of that learning and support and mentorship that you received, which I think is amazing that you just made that commitment and did it every weekend for over a year. And you're bringing it to people in the form of a course. So my assumption is that this is an online course, right? That people can sign up for and take. And how long is the course? And, you know, what kind of commitment does it take for someone to, to really like get the most out of it that they possibly can? So mental disorders crash course, it's self-paced on sort of the most important mental disorders uh, encountered in practice. And 
It has modules that are broken into fundamental concepts, so addressing drug interactions and QTC prolongation, which is common among medications prescribed in mental health. And then there are modules on specific door there. Then there are modules on specific disorders within the category of depressive disorders, anxiety disorders, bipolar, psychotic disorders, and an overview of common problems found in substance use disorders. So a, a person doesn't need, a nurse practitioner doesn't need to take the course in entirety to find benefit from it. If they're working with a patient in practice and they see that they're really struggling with knowing how to treat psychotic disorders, they can jump to that module, follow the lessons on diagnosing, treating, lab interpretation and monitoring, and take what they're learning and implement that immediately in practice. And so the goal is for the course to be as actionable as, help, as possible, not that a person needs to go through the entire course to find any benefit, because sometimes there's just a topic that you want a little bit more information on. Um, so it might be just anxiety disorders or just depressive disorders. You can jump in there and find benefit. Um, I'm, I'm also adding a new mod module on ADHD, specifically adult ADHD in the next few months. Uh, it's an area with limited knowledge. There's a lot of misinformation surrounding adult ADHD, and there's an increasing number of patients presenting to us in clinics reporting ADHD. And so this new module I'm creating delves into diagnosing and treating ADHD in adults. That sounds really prudent because it is quite the conversation happening in the culture in our society right now. And I was just talking to someone the other day about how, you know, the, the shortage of ADHD meds in the, in the uh, pharmaceutical system right now is kind of a crisis. Many people are coming up empty handed when they want to fill a prescription of a medication they've been quite dependent on for a long time. And I've been told that even the war in Ukraine is affecting the availability of certain raw materials that we need to synthesize certain medications that we need, which I hadn't even thought of before. So, you know, patients are facing, you know, some dire situations out there when it comes to just, well, one, accessing care, two, accessing the medications they need, and then getting the support you know, once they're on their medications. So psychiatric NPs are facing the same issue. Like, what if my patient can't even get the medication I've decided is the best thing for them to take? So I think it's brilliant of you to add the ADHD um, module to your course. And I'm wondering, have, have people been coming to you being like, man, I don't even know how to treat this. Like, do you feel like the, you're hearing the demand, so you're trying to respond to what you're hearing out there in the in the world around you. I think that's where it partly came from. Is well, personally, I I don't had not done a ton of ADHD treatment in my practice. I mostly treat adults, but I'm having more patients present with with symptoms of ADHD, and then I'm having providers asking if I cover it in my course. What's interesting is that there aren't any clinical practice guidelines available for adult ADHD treatment in the U.S. Those are in the process of being developed, but that I think adds to the complication also. And so as I'm pulling together this module, it's in UC research and what is available to help develop the treatment guidelines for adult ADHD. Um, so there's a, lot, there's a lot there and I'm excited to be adding this module, but it's, it, it is sort of in response to questions about it and my own experience and then more and more patients coming to me in adulthood with ADHD. Let me rewind for a second. 
Did you just say there are no clinical guidelines in the United States for the treatment of adult ADHD? Is that what you said? That is correct. There's no clinical practice guidelines that are available currently. They're in the process of being developed, but right now there is there is nothing. I'm really surprised at that. Actually kind of shocked, but maybe I shouldn't be. And does that come from like the psychiatric community in terms of the 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 organizations or whoever it is that that develops, say, the DSM? Is that part of where that comes from? I I think practice guidelines would be more the APA, the American Psychiatric Association. So Mm -hmm. so the DSM uh, has, you know, diagnostic criteria for ADHD, but how it's written currently is more geared towards children and adolescents. And so some of the symptoms that you see presenting are things like does not sit well in, in class or um, doesn't play well with, with others. And that's, you know, you're not really seeing that in in adults. And so it's, there's not, the DSM itself is, is geared towards children and adolescents. There's not a whole lot of questions assessing executive functioning, which which you would see difficulties in adults with ADHD. I Um, see. And as far as treatment guidelines, that's the APA. Right. And I bet a lot of people in primary care practice are having people coming in presenting with complaints of attention deficit and et cetera. So I'm sure it's becoming, you know, it's just, it's part of the kind of national conversation right now, it seems. So I'm sure you're getting a lot of people coming in just saying, I just realized, you know, fill in the blank here, what symptom I'm experiencing. And someone suggested I might want to take Vyvanse or something like that. I think what complicates it further is you have patients who present with substance use disorder histories and also have ADHD. And and there's a lot of research surrounding when you treat both ADHD and substance use disorder, patients get better. And then if you treat a patient earlier in life for their ADHD, there's less likelihood of developing further substance use disorder issues. And so I think substance use and also any other comorbid conditions on top of ADHD can complicate the presentation. So a person presenting with an anxiety disorder plus ADHD, it's hard to tease apart the diagnoses too. So there's a lot of layers there, which adds to the complication. I would love to see some research over the long term of, you know, if you treat these attention deficit issues earlier if there's a decrease in risk of developing substance use and you know what what they can glean if they did a long-term study of that that would be really really fascinating mm-hmm. so i wanted to pivot for a second and talk about your pivot because the last time you were on the show episode 373 we were talking about your business um which was np for nps and you were really focused sort of on the the global nurse practitioner world in terms of mentoring and supporting nurse practitioners. And then you've made this pivot over this last period of time um, to your business, which is now the Stress-Free Psych NP. And I was curious, what was the precipitating factor of factors that caused you to feel like, hmm, I think I need to zero in a little bit more and really like specialize in supporting psychiatric nurse practitioners what what really was the what were some of the crystallizing thoughts or moments that led you to to think huh i've got to make that little pivot 
So, so my previous business, MP for MPs, Nurtured Path for Nurse Practitioners, was geared towards helping new nurse practitioners navigate that transition into practice. Obviously, it's a creative time where many providers, new providers struggle, and that led me to create my course, Unsured Unstoppable, to help with all the steps a new grad needs to go through to experience more clarity and confidence transitioning to practice. But I decided to pivot my business about a year or so ago when I realized that there's a place of even greater need where my particular expertise could best be utilized. So I'm a psych nurse practitioner and something that many new psych NPs and more experienced psych NPs have difficulty with is that confidence and competence in clinical knowledge when it comes to effectively and efficiently diagnosing and treating psychiatric patients. And I wanted to help where the need and hurt felt greatest. And in talking to other providers who treat patients with mental health needs, whether it was a psych NP or a family NP, I found that the need was very clearly with increasing clinical knowledge and practice. And that's what led me to create the Mental Source Crash Course and also pivot my business to what is currently named Stress-Free Psych NP. That's great. My mission with Stress-Free Psych NP is to help create a group of nurse practitioners that are less stressed and more confident treating their patients with mental health needs. I want providers to feel supported and secure in their skills where daily stresses of the job don't come from lack of knowledge. I believe that having clarity and direction clinically leads to much less stress and practice, which is something all providers truly deserve to experience. That's great. And if some adult Jerry and FNPs come along for the ride because they're treating those conditions anyway, or they're getting duly certified because people are coming and they need to have the confidence to treat them all the better. So, you know, the more NPs we have, no matter what their designation, who can address, you know, what we could say is a mental health disorders, I don't want to call it an epidemic, but we have a troubled society. There are lots of people under stress, under duress, who need support. And I think it's great that you're supporting NPs and really being able to dig deep and feel confident in that area. I think it's so important. So I'm really happy for people to know about the mental disorders crash course. And I think it's great you're adding ADHD and I'm sure, you know, more modules are going to come along. And just as an aside, when people sign up for the course, do they have any direct interaction with you or is everything completely online through the course? No, they have access to me too. So so there's several, there's a fundamental section, there's modules broken down to each disorder. And within that, there's a section on diagnosis, treatment, lab monitoring, there's quizzes at the end, test knowledge and PDF cheat sheets. And then students have access to me. So texting or emailing me clinical questions. They also get one-on-one, a one-on-one call with me in the first 90 days of getting the product to kind of mimic that mentorship that I had when I was a new grad. So any sort of questions that arise with difficult cases they're currently wrestling with or something that's confusing what they're learning about in the course. And then I recently rolled out a community element to the course called Mental Health Mastermind for Stress-Free Psych and P. And it's a place for students of the course to connect with one another, seek advice, discuss challenging patient cases, share wins. And then there's several bonuses of the course. One of them is a stress-free lab interpretation guide made easy for psych and peas, which is a guide to interpreting the interpreting lab values outside of normal range and what to do when labs come back in normal, essential screening tools to know when use in practice, and then a psyche eval walkthrough, which is the bread and butter of initial psyche evaluation with the patient. Wow. That's 
really great. I didn't even realize how robust it truly is. So that's fantastic. They have access to you by email and text and also this community aspect where people can chat with one another. And I think in a way that reflects what I was saying earlier, when people are um, on their own and they don't have that like ability to just like chat with a colleague in the hallway for a couple minutes, right? I think that's wonderful. You're giving them a virtual hallway where they can chat around the water cooler. I think that's that's really important. And so people can go to stressfreepsychnp.com and then on Facebook and Instagram, it's stressfreepsychnp. And I'll also have a link to your LinkedIn profile if people want to connect with you on LinkedIn. And I hope they'll let you know that they heard you here on the Nurse Keith Show for your second appearance. And I'm not sure if I was doing this when you were here on episode 373. I think I was, but I have four quick questions I ask all my guests. And even if you and I did this last time, maybe you'll have some different responses now. So are you game to just go through these four questions with me? Sure, let's do it. (laughs) Yeah, and so if you do or don't remember, the first question was... How do you define success personally and or professionally? I think I do remember this question from last time. I don't know that it's changed, but it's, I think I define it in the way that Dr. Maya Angelou defines it. She has a quote that says success is liking who you are, liking what you do and liking how you do it or something Mm. to that extent. That's really nice. I, I think that's something that I'm continually recalibrating and and adjusting to to find. I think it's something that's constantly moving. Um, So yeah, not really my definition, but I I think I like the way that she phrases it. Yeah, that's really lovely. Yeah, she's she's an important person out there in the world. And speaking of important people, the second question is, um, if you could name or describe a person who's inspired you in the course of your life, um, living or dead, um, famous or just someone you know who none of us would ever have had the benefit of of knowing about. This might have changed. Um, so this is actually the the mentor I referred to before. Hmm. Um, he began as just a preceptor, then became um, a mentor to me in that year that I worked with him. And over time, he's become a friend. He came to my wedding, but hmm. um, it has been incredibly helpful to have someone that I can rely on whenever I, I I think I'm most stressed in my day-to-day at work and I have been over the past few years and to be able to reach out to this mentor via phone or text after hours during hours to discuss clinical cases has been incredibly helpful to me it's been a lifeline that uh, I've used many many times um, even current to this day and I I, I think that a lot of the, the confidence I've gained in practice has come from him, um, the friendship, the, the lessons that you're not just learning with diagnosing and prescribing, but soft skills too have come from him. And I, I would say that he's, he's that person for me. That's really wonderful. And I picture you having like a old fashioned red phone on your desk and you pick it up and he's there <laughs> and you ask him a question. Um, <laughs> He's a very great person. He, he's he's um, a very giving person. And um, yeah, I guess I try to emulate that also. So when, when NPs reach out to me, I, I try to be the, the Dr. T, call him, the Dr. T to, to, to them because he's been so helpful to me in so many ways. That's really great. And I've talked about mentorship on the show 
a number of times and Mm -hmm. you just never know where a relationship like that could go. And the fact that he's a friend and went to your wedding and, you know, mentorships can go very deep and they become quite symbiotic over time. So I think you're, this is an example of that. So I'm really glad you have that. And obviously you're, you're passing it on to more people through, you know, the work you're doing. So the third question is about either a book or movie, something out there in the world, not necessarily absolute favorite, but that's just has an ongoing impact on the way you think, the way you approach your life, the way you approach relationships, anything like that. Just something that holds meaning for you. I think it's probably the power, the book, The Power of Now by mm, Eckhart Tolle. Eckhart Tolle, yeah. Tell me why. Um, I think me personally, I'm someone who's often jumping ahead to the future or ruminating on the past. And his book is a really good kind of foundation to keep grounded in the present moment. And whether it's not reading it cover to cover, although I've read it a few times, it's kind of during times of stress. Pulling it out, reading a section of the book to stay grounded in this moment has been very helpful because truly nothing exists other than the current now. Um, there are no problems in the now. And if there are, there's ways to effectively deal with them. And I think it's helpful to be reminded of that. And so it's actually, I'm looking at it right now on the side mm-hmm. of my desk among a couple mm-hmm. other books. It's actually next to the DSM and the prescri- installs prescriber's guide. Perfect. But it's something I refer to every now and then when I need to... Um, be a little bit more grounded in the present moment. I think Eckhart Tolle might find that really wonderful that you have it sitting next to the DSM. I think that's awesome. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Yeah. All right. And so the last question is, if you, Claire Ellerbrock, were named queen of the world tomorrow, what's one of the first things you would want to do to improve the lives of your subjects? What, What would you do with your magic scepter if you had one? That's a good question. I don't think you asked me that last time. Hmm. I guess it would be getting a sense, somehow being able to know what other people are feeling. I think if everyone in this world had a better sense of what other people are going through or experiencing or feeling, there'd be more compassion and more harmony and peace. And Hmm. so you don't always know what's going on in someone else's head just by looking at them, especially from the mental health perspective. You don't know what's what another person's going through, what their life experiences are, what they've been through or are going through. And so I think if we could somehow interact with someone and know what they're experiencing, know their experiences, I think we'd be a lot more compassionate um, towards one another and more helpful. So it's sort of like universal powers of compassion and empathy. Through knowing what they're... Through, through knowing what they're experiencing, what their experiences are. Because I think when we understand that, that compassion and understanding comes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At the time of this recording with two major wars happening in the world, I just feel like that would be an amazing way to decrease the amount of conflict in the world. So Mm -hmm. I love that one. So thank you for sharing that. And I'm really, really glad to have you here again. And I'm so glad you're providing this really targeted support to psychiatric NPs and other NPs who really want to treat mental health disorders with with grace and knowledge and confidence and competence. So thanks for, you know, 
creating this resource and being there for nurse practitioners who need you and need the support you have. So thanks for doing such great work in the world, Claire. Thanks so much for having me. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Nurse Keith Show. Remember, the show notes will be at nursekeith.com and on any app where you're listening. Please go to stressfreepsychnp.com. You can also go to Facebook and Instagram and look for Stress Free Psych NP. The links are in the show notes along with a link to Claire's LinkedIn profile. Please connect with her. Let her know you heard her on The Nurse Keith Show. And please refer people who you know who would benefit from her course, Mental Disorders Crash Course, over at Stress Free Psych NP. Please consider becoming a patron of the podcast at patreon.com, P A T R E O N.com forward slash Nurse Keith. If you need holistic career coaching, contact me at keith at nursekeith.com. Mention the show and get 10% off your first coaching package. We are proud members of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. And we're adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote by the musician Robert Fripp. May my living honor my parents. May my living repay the debt of my existence. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. And my friend Claire Afwa Ellerbrock saying adieu from Columbus, Ohio. All right. Thank you, Claire. Thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll catch you on the proverbial flip side. Thank you.